And this is our plan of attack. Banks have become an essential threat to our democracy. So consider this justice. Thank you for listening to Revolution Radio at freedomslips.com, the number one listener-supported radio station on the Internet. Please help support this station so this battle can continue forward. Revolution Radio! Thank you for listening to Revolution Radio at freedomslips.com. Any commercial advertising you may hear in this program is of the sole discretion and benefit of the host of whose program you are listening to. Revolution Radio does not endorse any commercial products, nor does it accept monetary compensation for on-air advertising of commercial products, nor will it ever. We are and shall remain 100% listener-supported. Any product advertising on this program are considered used at higher risk, and Revolution Radio shall not be held liable for any claims or damages received from any product advertised within this program. Revolution Radio, where information never sleeps. Do you or someone you know suffer from poor circulation, shortness of breath, or chest pains? Are you looking for a more natural solution to help overcome these problems? People tell us that after just a few months taking Extendivite, their doctors have noticed unexplainable improvements in their overall health. For more information, visit heartdrop.com or call 1 877 928 8822. And tell them Nighthawk sent you, because if you call this number and tell them Nighthawk sent you, you'll get $5 off your first order at ExtendedBite.com. Thank you. The opinions expressed on this radio station, its programs, and its website by the hosts, guests, and call-in listeners or chatters are solely the opinions of the original source who expressed them. They do not necessarily represent the opinions of Revolution Radio and FreedomSlips.com, its staff, or affiliates. You're listening to Revolution Radio, FreedomSlips.com, 100% listener-supported radio, and now we return you to your host. Do you feel as if you don't belong? Do you know you were meant for something more? Well, you were. Knowledge of who you are and where you really are from is within your reach. Join Janet Carolessen. Dr. Sasha Lesson as they search for the answers as they open up the Stargate to the cosmos.
Hello, everybody, and welcome to Stargate the Cosmos on Revolution Radio. And I'm your host, Janet Kerr-Lesson, with my co-host, Dr. Sasha alex Lesson, and our producer is Thomas Becker. And happy, very Christmas. <laughs> and we are joined today by Douglas Haas, who is a student of Western lore with a fascination with ancient PowerPoints and magical places and Native American legends. He has also studied extensively in the role of secret societies. Douglas has a BA from UC Santa Cruz and an MA from San Jose State University, both in modern European history, and he currently works in the legal field. So before we bring on Douglas, I'd like to bring on Dr. Sasha Lesson. Sweetheart, are you there? Oh, yeah. It's it's also, you know, uh, around the winter solstice when this is the, uh, the shortest uh, day in the northern hemisphere of of light and just just remember far below the bitter snows lies the seed that with the sun's light in the spring becomes the rose the rose <laughs> yes so we met uh, Douglas at the uh, I think it was at Lori Fenton's UFO con was that last year anyway time not fly and I get lost in it but uh, Douglas has a bunch of books, and uh, we're going to let you tell our listeners, Doug, a little bit about yourself and your research. And, and then after you talk for about you know, 15, 20 minutes or so, then we're going to ask you questions. So welcome to our show. Well, uh, it's uh, uh, great to be on your show, Janet uh, and Sasha. And uh, um so yeah, we met at the uh, UFO Con and at, at the Holiday Inn in South San Francisco, and uh, your table, book table, was right next to my book table, and uh, I was uh, presenting on uh, one of the subjects I've been focusing on in uh, recent decade, uh, the most recent decade, but going back further in time, uh, I was right out of the uh, history program, and I was focusing more on politics and history and I was living in Santa Cruz, uh, California. And, uh, so my, uh, research areas were entirely different back then and, uh, focusing on military secret societies and the Illuminati and, uh, uh, secret conspiracies and the power elite and that kind of thing. And, um, and, uh, I just remember at Santa Cruz in like 1986, 87, there was a lot of conspiracy people, but they were talking about um, Contragate and uh, things like the World Nazi Network. And there was this radio talk show host named Mae Brussel. And a lot of you have heard of her. She had this show called World Watchers. And she was connecting all the, uh, the lines going back to uh, the John F. Kennedy assassination and Bobby Kennedy and uh, Martin Luther King and uh, this group that was called the Secret Team, all these covert clandestine operatives working in the shadows, uh, going all the way back to the Bay of Pigs, the C- you know, the CIA-sponsored invasion attempt in Cuba, and then all this shadowy intrigue around the Kennedy assassination. And uh, so along the way, I was already interested in this stuff. But along the way, in the uh, December of 1987, I met this most curious individual in Santa Cruz, and uh, a guy named Jeff Turner. And for the next 10 years, I 
And even today, uh, but mainly back then, I was meeting him on a regular basis, bumping into him around town. And the conspiratorial worldview coming out of Jeff Turner was absolutely mind-boggling. And it goes beyond that. Uh, Jeff Turner, in the first conversation I had with him, said he was part of a a group that was monitoring a cult priestess operating in the uh, South Bay and in Santa Cruz uh, who had a a liaison with a known KGB asset working in the Silicon Valley. And my ears perked up like, wow, you got to be kidding. This, This is amazing stuff. So for the next two or three years, especially, there was just like constant uh, meetings. Uh, we took a couple road trips to Los Angeles. We met local uh, kind of behind the scenes people. And uh, um, it was just amazing stuff. And uh, he had a little team on the streets of Santa Cruz who were supposed to monitor uh, the activities of the cult and the cult leader who uh, the, her name, I won't give her full name, but uh, her name, uh, first name is Christy. And her, her people were on the streets and she had contacts with the city hall, with law enforcement and all, all these intrigues. So uh, he had this little team on the streets uh, uh, doing kind of like, uh, I don't like kind of like surveillance for him. And uh, mm-hmm. later on, he told me he was actually a citizen volunteer in the CIA. And so it, it's just, so anyway, um, I started researching some of the claims he made and I told researcher friends of mine of some of the claims. They did research of their own. They came back and confirmed like, that's absolutely true. How does this guy know this stuff? Nobody knows this stuff except people in local law enforcement. This is guarded in-house information. Mm -hmm. So um, what was Jeff Turner's conspiratorial worldview? Well, what was it? (laughs) <laughs> what was the Illumin- Okay, what was the conspiratorial worldview? His worldview was there was a Hollywood actress, very well known back then, not so well known now, by the name of Tuesday Weld, and he said, "Oh yeah, I yeah, Well known back in the day, she was a well known actress, uh, TV uh-huh. and film, and uh, she's getting pretty old now. She lives uh, in a townhouse near Central Park in Manhattan and might have a house. Actually, that's not entirely true. She recently uh, reportedly relocated to Los Angeles and bought a house in Los Angeles. But for a long time, she was based in New York City. And um, anyway, um, Jeff said that Tuesday Weld is uh, uh from a Druidic bloodline family, that the Weld family, it's a well-known family in New England, very powerful family, going way back to early American history. Uh, the story goes that it's a bloodline lineage family going back to the, uh, uh, the ancient Druidic uh, uh, world of pre-Christian Celtic uh, uh, Ireland and Scotland and, and England. And... Um, and so uh, he said that from an early age, uh, she had the gift. People in this secret network of this underground druidic network saw that she had the gifting. And so by the age of 14, 15, they knew she had the magic and that she would become the next uh, high priestess of the druidic order, this underground 
matrix. And so supposedly in the uh, late 1958, she was uh, ordained as uh, queen and high priestess of the Druids. And the initiation rite that uh, uh, commemorated her reign was the crash that took the life the lives of Buddy Holly and uh, um, the Big Bopper and Richie Valens, mm-hmm. uh, that plane crash. And this, the, 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 the actual story of what really went on is commemorated in Don McLean's song, American Pie. Pie, right. So yeah. she, so yeah. this was an intentional crash to, it's like a ritual crash to honor her. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, like the plane was sabotaged by some mechanic under the uh, leadership of this underground, like almost like criminal underworld tied into this druidic uh, secret society. And that like something Uh happened. Jeff has another version of he he claims the pilot turned around and and shot the guys in the head. But that that to me is a little bit too far fetched. (laughs) They would have found it in the uh, forensic evidence. But uh, a mechanic. Right. Making the plane to crash by setting it up to, you know, kind of stall out soon after takeoff is something that might be easier to go undetected. They wouldn't find it. So, uh, so um, the argument is that Tuesday Weld was given this powerful role and started immediately pulling strings and Hollywood behind the scenes had a powerful influence behind the scenes and later on it spread to the emergence of rock and roll and she became one of rock and roll's great and secret groupies behind the scenes trying to guide shape and manipulate the bands so she was hanging out with the beatles and they wrote about her and like i am the walrus she was hanging out with the rolling stones and mick jagger writes about her in ruby tuesday that's about tuesday weld Oh, my goodness. Uh, yeah, and there's all these songs which have Tuesday Weld references. Donald Fagan of Steely Dan wrote about her on several of the songs uh, on his album Nightfly. One of them, you can, they talk about her in the background vocals. They go, Rube Tuesday, she's a druid. Tuesday Weld, she's a druid. And it's like background uh, uh-huh. kind of studio chatter. Another song on that album, they just flat out her names in the lyrics. Um, and that goes on and on. There's Walter Egan uh, mentioned her, wrote a song about her. And, and so here she is behind the scenes trying to groom these rock bands to help propel the Druidic worldview uh, towards like a world social cultural revolution to bring their new paradigm into power and overthrowing this old uh, Christian worldview that goes all the way back to the, the last days of the Roman Empire. And they're trying. Uh, they're trying to overturn the whole uh, paradigm that guides our Western civilization. And they pulled it off because the rock and roll counterculture became the dominant paradigm uh, for the youth curl, youth culture worldwide. The only place it didn't penetrate uh, to a great extent was, I imagine, the Middle East. But right. it had tremendous power in Asia, of course, Europe, America, Latin America even. And uh, it effectively changed the paradigm. And their revolution was successful. So, so what uh, does it mean to be a druid? Did you know, have you researched what they mean by she's a druid, druid priestess? Is, are we talking about the druids from, you know, the UK, from England? 
Right, right. So they, they they're they're in the nature worship. They think that there there needs to be annual rituals to uh, propitiate nature. There's the annual ritual of the May Queen, where you like uh, you you have like wild uh, celebrations and people kind of go off in the forest and mate, and and then you have children that are born of these unions uh, with. Uh, called Robertson or Robinson because the uh, the green man that was at the center of this ritual, uh, they would call him, uh, I don't know, if, you know, I'm a little weak on this because I this used to be a research area 20 years ago and I moved on. But uh, yes, uh-huh. Robin was, uh, would be like the, the green man. And so children born of these couplings would be called Robinson or Robertson because they didn't know their father. You know, it was part of these just like oh, I see. couplings that would happen during. And then Robert Plant wrote about that in Stairway to Heaven. He talks, it's the annual spring clean of the May Queen, the May Queen, the annual spring queen of the May Queen. She's buying her stairway to heaven. That might have been a, a kind of slight rebellion against Tuesday Wells' leadership, like kind of defying her power and authority, trying to, uh, you know, his own little protest song against this secret Druidic Illuminati control over rock and roll. So Jeff also claims that the uh, Druids took over leadership of the Illuminati, the whole matrix of secret societies, uh, uh, and basically claimed oversight over Freemasonry. And he talked to Masons over the years. He he's, has a lot of Masonic contacts. And they told him that, yes, we went along with it at first, but later on we got disillusioned with her. She was just way out of control. She didn't know boundaries. And, and so we started you know, uh, just no longer going along with it. And, uh, and, uh, so they did initially, uh, accept her leadership over the Illuminati, but later on, uh, after a while, the Freemasons began to, uh, not accept her leadership anymore because her lifestyle was too reckless. She was too promiscuous. There was too much substance abuse going on. And, uh, they considered her uh, leadership reckless. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Should so they sound like that, the assassins that they were behind the the uh, the the, uh, the sabotage? Probably. Oh, I mean, like the uh, uh, the plane that took the life of Buddy Holly and that. Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, well, that would have been the Druids, the actual Druidic. Uh, underground and uh, the Freemasons might not have even initially known about what was going on. It might have been one of the things that turned turned them off to her leadership. Is like ah, you know, the rumors might have spread around among the higher uh, orders of Freemasonry. Like you know what, how she uh, came to power, don't you? Okay, here's another interesting uh, Tuesday Weld element because there's a whole, according to Jeff, there's this whole Weldian faction in Hollywood that emerged in the 60s and she groomed all sorts of actresses. She slept with actors and there was this whole Weldian faction within Hollywood had tremendous power. Like she, uh, among her people she was close with was like Jack Nicholson, Warren Beatty, even Paul Newman. On and on and on, people that were uh, in her uh, uh, under her spell. Well, this is interesting because in 1966 or 65, Hollywood came out with the Adams Family, 
and it was straight up the Illuminati Weldian faction in Hollywood. And so the little kid with clairvoyant power, sort of like the way Tuesday Weld was like in childhood, where uh-huh. she had clairvoyant giftings, the first episode, I've been told, the kid was named Tuesday. That was the opening episode. And then they switched it, and the name of the little girl, her name was Wednesday. Wednesday, yes. Uh-huh. That's fusion to Tuesday Weld. Oh, isn't that interesting? Wow. Yeah, so Jeff... Well, the, the, the girl, the Marilyn, looks like Tuesday Weld. The what? Marilyn, the, 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 the straight human that wasn't... Um, she was the... What was she, the... Yeah, Marilyn. She did she was like born into this weird family and she was nothing like them. She was like a regular person. But she looked like Tuesday Well. She had the features and look of Tuesday Well. She did, yes. Okay, now this is uh, what Jeff says is another very interesting Hollywood kind of lore story. And he loves this stuff. He goes to Hollywood collector shows. He talks with actresses and actors. He goes to film sets. He's been doing this stuff for years. He loves it. He loves celebrities. Uh Okay, so he says that the right-wing faction in Hollywood, uh, I would just call it a conservative faction, but he says, no, it's under the thumb of the World Nazi Network. It's flat out this is world Nazi network or international fascism. And that's his opinion. I would just say, no, these are the conservatives in Hollywood. What happened is the conservative faction or what Jeff would say is the world Nazi network faction in Hollywood found out that the Illuminati faction was going to come out with the Adams family. And they said, we got to counter that with our own show. So they came out, the right wing faction in Hollywood came out with a rival show called the Munsters. The Munsters, yes. <laughs> and they came out the same TV season. Okay, so there's this, I didn't, I heard about this years later. There is an incredible episode of the Munsters in which Henry Munster in the episode is complaining like, I got a raging headache. Oh man, I have this raging headache. I had this weird dream about Tuesday Weld last night. And then the cuckoo clock on the wall, the little cuckoo bird comes out and goes, Tuesday Weld, Tuesday Weld, squawk, squawk, squawk. That isn't an actual episode of the Munsters. Wow. Isn't that wild? What were they trying to say with that episode? It's like an inside joke among Hollywood insiders. inside joke. Yeah, okay. it's, they know what's going on, but everybody else out there and watching TV across America, and, and you know, they don't know what any of this means. It's just, it's just like, <laughs> so uh, um, in 1966, uh, the Illuminati faction in Hollywood uh, came out with this uh, teen rebellion film that was supposed to help lead the cultural revolution in the United States, like a rock and roll, rock and roll youth rebellion. And the movie was uh-huh. called Lord Love a Duck. And Lord Love oh, a Duck. Oh, I remember that. Rodney That's McDowell, Lord yeah. Love a Duck. Yeah, and uh, and so Rodney McDowell, he's kind of like a druidic kind of character. They're up on the like the roof of a building, and they're uh, she's talking about this ancient mythological bird, and and it's like uh, uh, it's just like very 
there's weird uh, occultic aspects to it. One of the science teachers or English teacher or something is teaching a class and there's like a goat skull right behind him. A goat skull, like the satanic goat skull, right behind uh-huh. him. And, and it's just a bizarre movie. But Jeff says the right-wing faction in Hollywood, when that movie was supposed to hit the movie theaters, they, they had like like little teams, covert teams going around and they stole the film canisters from the movie theaters to make it so that that film would not break out. That like, oh, we had to cancel the movie. Why? Because the film canisters were stolen by somebody stole the film canisters. So the Nazi faction went around stealing the film canisters, holding the film Lord Love a Duck to make sure this film would would not become a popular breakout uh, movie hit. To kind of like uh, throw a monkey wrench in this projected Illuminati engineered youth rebellion that Lord Love a Duck was supposed oh, to be. Oh, Roddy McDowell. Let me see. It's uh, Tuesday. Well, Harvey Corman. Yeah, I remember seeing it. That that was 1966. No, there's Roddy McDowell. There he is. Yeah, he is in it. Okay. But what was it about? Oh, it's just a teen rebellion movie, uh, you know, where the kids go wild at high school and, you know, they go to the beach and they have like wild, like Dionysian, you know, kind of orgies of surf, surf bonfires and people sneaking off and behind sand dunes. It's, It's sort of like a, you know, youth and they're defiant too. the students are like really over the top, like talking back in class and doing wearing crazy clothes and just being rebellious and disobedient and running around and it's like a youth rebellion film and it was oh, supposed yeah. to be, okay. yeah it's supposed to be a vehicle for an illuminati engineered youth rebellion and uh it it, it misfired and uh it's become a cult favorite but it never had a breakout success so um, kind of like uh, Rocky Horror. <laughs> Cult that was another one. That was an Illuminati kind of engineered, uh, you know, like there's a whole bunch of Illuminati engineered movies designed to like overturn uh, the Western rigid conservative Judeo-Christian inheritance and, you know, sexual revolution, uh, just just destroy the old inherited uh Christian conservative culture of the past and uh, instill new values. Okay, so uh, did Jeff learn yeah, some I probably would have watched that. I did watch that movie, so I would have been on the side of all this rebellion. <laughs> That's kind of sounds where like. I was. Without you're huh? a, a card, uh, you're a card carrying Weldian without realizing it. Yep, yep, that's me. Because uh, I, I actually, I liked Roddy McDowell. I probably would have watched it. I watched all the Planet of the Apes things that he did a little bit later. No, right, right around that time, he went from this to Planet of the Apes. This is interesting to follow this history because this is very uh, relevant to me. So, okay, so Tuesday, well, the, the, so you're saying the right, the conservative side. Uh, recently, we had a, 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 a whistleblower witness say that the Republicans are the Nazis. The Nazis came over in paperclip, and uh, now they're in the their Republican Party is a Nazi party, which a lot of people aren't going to like to hear. But this is what <laughs> some whistleblower had. But that's the right wing, and that's conservative. And then the left wing, you know, is the 
um, I guess what you're saying, this is kind of like the hippie movement. And also the Socialist International, there's like 50 members of Congress who are uh, members of the Socialist International, which is like, uh, you know, the old legacy of the, uh, you know, Karl Marx and the, uh, the, the, the more softer general, general approach to uh, socialist revolution. They're not the communists, they're the socialists. And uh, there's like 50 members in Congress who are quietly members of Socialist International, the SI, they call it, SI. Yeah, that's a left-wing faction, and uh, uh, and that's the Democratic Party. So um, uh, before I go too much further, I should mention some of Jeff's sources. Uh, first of all, he met Tuesday Weld personally, got to know her a little bit. Uh, he met her on the set of The Serial, uh, which was being filmed in 1979 in Marin County. Uh, he later uh, uh, went down and... Uh, was allowed to meet producer Henry and director Henry Jaglom at International Rainbow Pictures on uh, Wilshire Boulevard in Hollywood. And uh, Henry Jaglom uh, directed a movie with Tuesday Weld and Jack Nicholson and Orson Welles called A Safe Place. And Henry Jaglom said, the stuff I tell you behind closed doors, you are not to share with anyone. You are not to talk about this. And he told, uh, uh, Jeff about Tuesday Weld's power and influence in Hollywood, but like everything, Jeff is a big blabbermouth. He doesn't know how to keep his mouth shut. He's a big blabbermouth, and so he told everybody. He tells everybody, but Henry Jaglom is you know, like, you know, this is just to stay behind these closed doors. Do you understand me? Okay, so another one of Jeff's sources was uh, Kenneth Anger, and Kenneth Anger was an early member of the Church of Satan with Anton Lavey. And uh, Jeff met him at the Silver Screen Hollywood shop in Manhattan. And the, the Silver Screen Hollywood shop was like a really good memorabilia shop where they could get you anything. They, could, they knew people that could get you stuff. And it was mafia-tied. Ken Galante was the owner, and he was on the Council of 100. He was one of the uh, – I think he was in the Colombo uh, or Genovese family, but he was like a, uh, a made man in the Sicilian mafia. He owned the silver screen and uh, he was a friend of Kenneth Anger. So Kenneth Anger would come into the silver screen in Manhattan and just hang out with Ken Galante and maybe they'd go out to lunch and Jeff befriended Ken Galante and Ken Galante would invite him. So they would go to places like the Van Ness Recreation Club in Queens, which was a Sicilian mafia only and their guests uh, club. It's like, you know, uh, in Queens, and uh, uh, Jeff even got in the Ravenscroft, or I forget the name, Ravenswood Club, where uh, John Gotti uh, held court. He was allowed access there once or twice. Uh, I don't know if it was with Galante, but uh, uh, so he, the, the mafia guys are important. They have tremendous, they had tremendous power back in the days uh, in uh, uh, Hollywood and Ken Galante was his job was entertainment director for the uh, the New York families. That was his job. He was like a liaison discreetly, of course, behind the scenes. So uh, Jeff talked to Kenneth Anger and Kenneth Anger at the Silver Screen during their conversations told him about Tuesday Well. Yeah. So um, when Anton LaVey wrote his first. Uh, satanic bible the dedication was to tuesday weld and oh to marilyn monroe and in interviews uh-huh. uh anton lavey said tuesday weld 
has that unique magical power and um, she has the wisdom enough to not be too public and to not bite off more than she can choose. She pref- in other words, she prefers to stay in the background, in the shadows, and not bring too much attention to what she's doing. That, that was in the book Popular Witchcraft uh, that was published by Bowling Green University Press in 1973. And there's a chapter called Straight from the Witch's Mouth. And that was an interview with Anton LaVey, and he talks about Tuesday Weld briefly in that interview. So what was her role as the high priestess? Well, one thing is she groomed a whole generation of Hollywood actresses back in the 60s. She would tell them, you know, you have magical uh, power. You are a priestess. Remember, when you are being filmed, you are like a goddess, and you, you have you have power to invoke magic through the screen. Remember your power. So she's training young actresses like Karen Black or uh, Barbara Hershey or a whole bunch of them were discreetly trained by Tuesday Weld in how to be an actress, how to be a like a priestess on the celluloid. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, she was friends with Jessica Lange. I, I had a, a, a friend who was a, a rewriter uh, for Hollywood, and she actually was told to go to a house in somewhere like in upstate New York to help rewrite a screenplay working with Jessica Lange. And Tuesday Weld was there, and she was helping on the rewrite. So um, that's nothing to do with Jeff Turner, but it corroborates some of the stuff he claims. So you want to hear about the wow. art? Do you want to hear about the Christie side of things? Yeah. First of all, let me see. Sasha, do you have any feedback or questions before we go to the next part? Uh, yeah, well, just one very specific thing. Was 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 this the same cult, in essence, that was behind the uh, uh, murder of Natalie Wood? That's a Jeff Turner question. I, I'm in uh, a lot of dispute with him about what he claims about Natalie Wood because the faction Jeff is tied in with is tied in with Natalie Wood and her surviving sister, Lana Wood, uh, whose real name is Svetlana Gurdon, and she's uh, of Russian-Ukrainian descent. And the thing that Jeff is, his background is this military secret society, his dad, and his stepfather were in was called the Kaliniki Order, and it goes back to ancient Kievan Rus, and uh, came to the United States like several hundred years ago. And Svetlana Wood, I mean, excuse me, Svetlana Gurdon, also known as Lana Wood, is per- perhaps the major figure in Hollywood today behind the scenes. That's in that lineage, which is the Kaliniki. And Natalie Wood was Kaliniki, and she might have been killed. Because, but this doesn't look like he claims she was murdered, but it just looks like Robert Wagner was insanely jealous and he just allowed her to drown uh, in the ocean because he was just he, filled with rage. Did he push, her, did he push her under? Or did yeah, he push but that's her like jealousy? But he, yeah, her, we you know? And what about Christopher Walken? <laughs> what about Christopher Walken's role in that book? In that- Incident. He was there, and they were all fighting or something. Yeah. Well, what well, about Roman Polanski? Is he tied into this too? Well, the thing is, is Sharon Tate would right. not take orders from Tuesday Weld, and she was a rival to Tuesday Weld. So there's at that aspect of it where um, Tuesday Weld uh, 
one at Sharon Tate removed or uh, uh, was uh, uh, disliked her uh, unwillingness to accept her leadership. And so it might have been a case where Sharon Tate initially was mentored by Tuesday Weld, got roles because of Tuesday Weld, and then she turned on Tuesday Weld and wouldn't toe the line. And so Tuesday Weld is furious of her. It's, it's a very complicated web here. We're spinning where it's unclear exactly what the truth is but uh um jeff claims that uh charlie manson was a tuesday weld um protege and recruit and ran her assassination squad in hollywood and uh she was uh interviewed after the uh uh tate labianca murders by the uh sheriff's department in los angeles county they uh they brought in everybody though they brought in everybody interviewed anyone that knew these people socially but tuesday weld was also interviewed by the sheriff's department uh -huh. like, what, do you, what do you know there was a weird street publication that came out in hollywood uh in the months leading up to the the murders uh and the publication was called tuesday's child and it was all this stuff about you know, Charles Manson, how he was a great songwriter and how he was this amazing visionary. And I don't know, I, I've never seen it, but it was called Tuesday's Child. And it was about Charles Manson. It was a street publication leading up in early 69. If anybody knows how to get a hold of it, I'd be very eager to see it. I, I've just read about this. I've never seen that uh, publication. Um Okay, so uh, out there, So, but just just to understand that what gets labeled as conspiracy theory, uh, it, that's just a pejorative uh, way of talking about people who are discussing actual evidence, and uh, like Doug is. Okay, go ahead. Well, we should move over to the Christie element, and that's a very okay. interesting one. And, and that goes back to the uh, couple things. Number one, Jeff Turner um, went to high school, Homestead High in Cupertino, in the Silicon Valley. And one of his classmates was named Christy. I won't give her last name. And uh, there were rumors going around uh, the high school that, and immediately after when he got out of high school, that, you know, she's involved in some weird stuff. She's got like this, there's like this, cult of people that she's involved in they're doing some really dark stuff and uh and uh and uh he knew her socially and uh he been he went to their house he, he knew her whole family and there were these rumors going around and that she was involved in some really some dark stuff and was networking with people and there was like a like a, like coming like a high school cult you know doing like like satanic weird stuff. Okay. So what happens is, mm -hmm. is Jeff is out of high school and he gets a job. Uh, he doesn't go to college. He works and he gets a job at Claridge Furniture in Santa Clara. And in 1973, he's approached by this guy named Vic West and Vic West probably flipped out a picture of Christie and said, do you know this person? Did you go to this high school? Do you know? And I go, yeah, I know her. I know her. Yes, I know her really well. Okay, we need to keep in touch. Just don't talk about this with the boss. Just when you know we're alone, privately, we'll talk about this. 
So what ends up happening is over a period of time, Jeff is recruited and Vic West is actually part of a field team working under the leadership of a guy named John Rockmacher, who's a former OSS guy in World War II. He's getting old, but he is station chief for the CIA uh, in the Bay Area. And the letter drop in a place where John Rockmacher has his cover job is Wix TV repair in Oakland. And so Jeff, he, this is how he becomes a citizen volunteer, and his only job is keep track of this person. Who does she visit? Who does she know? Where does she hang out? Where do you see her? And they were tracking the activities of this Christie because her people were trying to get involved in some really dark stuff. And they were, uh, this is the early day of the defense industry tech sector in the Silicon Valley, a lot of stuff was going on. They were sending their people to try to get jobs within the tech defense sector in the Silicon Valley, take photography, uh, you know, to get, you know, take, you know, get us, tell us who's, uh, what's going on, what they're talking about. And they were, um, at some point they started networking, uh, with the KGB. And uh, this is what Jeff told me when I first met him in December 1987, that, that he was actively involved in this uh, tracking the activities of this cult priestess and her followers in the uh, South Bay. So anyway, it gets weirder. Uh, Christy also, also had aspirations in Hollywood. And early on, she started going down to Hollywood, even when she was like 16 years old even in high school, and she was hanging out with Tuesday Weld, and Tuesday Weld befriended her and started grooming her and said, yes, you got some great ideas. We can make some screenplays out of some of these ideas you have. Maybe make a made-for-TV movie. That's a great idea. Uh, maybe one day you might even want to be an actress. You know, we could get you some roles. And, and so this friendship of Christy and Tuesday Weld continued until an ugly breakup that happened in 1965, and it involved the Church of Satan also. So what happens is at that time, Tuesday Weld uh, had an influence behind the scenes on the Church of Satan, which was led by Anton LaVey. He also had Michael Aquino. There was Bobby uh, Bobby uh, Bisole, I forget his name, and uh, Kenneth Anger was involved in those days. And there was an ugly breakup in 1965. And Jeff says that Michael Aquino sided with Christie and Tuesday Weld and Anton LaVey went another direction. And since then, they became bitter enemies. Uh, and uh, it even gets weirder because Jeff says that when the process Church of the Final Judgment arrived in California in 1967, uh, Christie got involved in that. And Jeff claims that she effectively effectively took over leadership or gained influence within the process church of the final judgment and effectively pushed the founder, Robert Dick Grinston aside and behind the scenes took over leadership of the process church of the final judgment. She started. Hey, what, are, what are they fighting about from the get go? What, what, what started the initial uh, breakups? What was this all about? Just, just who's in charge? Um, Power struggles. Uh, Christy uh, has a huge ego. Tuesday Weld is, has a huge ego, and Christy thought she should have more power, and and uh, and she didn't like Tuesday's leadership. And um, 
Tuesday Weld was more cautious in, uh, in certain ways, like uh, they, the Druids do have human sacrifices, but they only sacrifice people that betray them, like you snitch to the police, and then they'll do a wicker man, and they'll, that's their sacrifice for somebody who's a traitor in their midst, and uh, somebody who snitched to the police. But they would, her faction would never do child sacrifice. They would never traffic in children. They would never do any of that stuff. A lot of sexual promiscuity, a lot of uh, like blown out uh, promiscuity and stuff, but none of that extreme black satanic stuff. Christy, however, went that route and she went dark. And so that was another element to um, their, their split, I would say. And Christie cultivated links in the uh, the international fascist networks to Jeff. Uh, she was mentored by uh, Croatian Ustasha immigrants living in the Silicon Valley area, and uh, and that led her to linkages with a Hungarian Arrow Cross fascist. That there's certain of them living in the country, Romanian Iron Guard, and so Michael Aquino was into that stuff too. He start, he was doing Nazi rituals at Wevelsburg castle in West Germany during the Cold War when he was like uh, a psychological warfare officer in the U.S. Army. He was doing those rituals at Bevelsburg Castle, which was the former SS Order Castle that uh, 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 Himmler was holding his uh, rights there. And all the guys in his psychological uh, unit thought he was kind of kind of nuts, but he was going there and doing these these rituals at the old SS what, Order what's the purpose of the rituals i've heard that they open stargates interdimensional portals and they let other beings through and like pindar comes through what, what do you know about, about the the meaning of these rituals and why what do they do why, why are they so horrendous you know i'm not a, uh, an expert I, I stay on the uh, good side i stay on the side of uh righteousness and the moral law and that stuff i'm not into this stuff so i've never really wanted to dabble too much to understand uh, I mean, that stuff works. The dark side works, but I just don't want to go there. I really don't want to learn much about it. I don't want to get pulled into the the, the, the dark magic. Yeah, I don't know much about it at all. It's just, it seems like uh, that everybody, you know, like, they make the connection that rituals are so bad, and they'll go, well, what are they doing? What's so bad? What are they doing? Look, they're, but there's something that makes them bad. They're killing people. I know they're killing people, but they're doing something else as well. There's they're maybe opening stargates and letting uh, these entities through, you know, the archons or whatever. However you symbol it, that's what um, Thoth said in the Emerald Tablets. Beware that they split the, um, you know, with the spilling of the blood, it splits the dimensions and beings can come through and take over other people, like possession. Anyway, I don't know everything. I don't claim to know it, but I was just wondering if you had any insights, but that's okay. Uh, carry on. We'll just keep talking. Well, the only thing I can mention is one thing Jeff claims uh, is that uh, both uh, Tuesday Weld and, and Christy thought they own the Crowleyan inheritance. They thought, I am the true inheritor of Alistair Crowley and uh, the hermetic teachings. I am the uh, the high priestess of the Crowleyan tradition. And they, they that was one of the things they both claimed ownership of. And to me, Crowley, all that stuff's kind of really dark. I, I don't like that stuff at all. The, 
There was one person that uh, he used in one of his rituals who went raving mad and never wanted to talk to Crowley again in this rest of his life. Like, I never want to see that man again for the rest of my life. Right. And so this is some pretty twisted stuff. So I, 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 I wouldn't want to get pulled into that. He did have a great throw deck. I mean, that throw deck, I used it when I was like in my 20s. That that deck was that deck was amazing. This is the artwork Lady Frida just made. Unbelievable. And there was magic in that deck. But the more I learned about Crowley, the more I wanted to like, uh, I don't want to get too, too involved in that. <laughs> but anyway, uh, Aquino is definitely uh, into the, and so was Christy, heavily into the Crowley. So. And then there's the other connection is Rosemary's baby was the like a byproduct of all this stuff as well. Yeah, I'd be curious to know what Wells' role was in that movie and uh, behind the scenes. Uh, I, Anton Lavey uh, is uh, plays a, uh, a role in that movie. He's also in The Devil's Reign oh. with Chris Borgny. He got a few roles. I'm sure Tuesday uh-huh. uh, uh, swung some, uh, opened some doors for him and got him in some few films. Yeah, this is Robin Polanski did Rosemary's Baby, and that's not, yeah, wow. So it's interesting to connect the dots, all these different things. Okay, so we have the Christy, Christy, who we don't have the last name connection. Yeah, I don't want to go I guess if you, it's, 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 yeah, it's, we don't uh, want to go there. Yeah. Is she still powerful? Christy's still in charge? You know, I, I think charge, she's probably, uh, uh, still has tremendous power. I, I think they have a faction in Hollywood where they put out some of the darkest, weirdest horror film. I mean, it's like there's a sick genius in this horror film. This is horrifically monstrous idea. And I say it's got to be those process church people. And Christie still has some sort of screen, you know, oversight over scripts. Or she's still got a faction. There's uh, one of the things I think. But in terms of all that wild ritual stuff, when she was like holding satanic rites in the Santa Cruz mountains. I don't think she's doing that anymore. Uh, Jeff thinks she does. I kind of find that hard to believe. Like, nah, she doesn't do that anymore. It's like, that's like something you do when you're a teenager or a twisted person in their twenties. You, you, you don't want to, you, re, you get tired of that well, stuff. That, that also gets hey, hey. maybe they're immortals. But go ahead, honey. your turn. Oh, I just wonder about Beyonce. Is she part of that? Oh, you know, yeah, I think that's the, the uh, I think that's the Illuminati uh, that's uh, morphed in new directions. And uh, yeah, people talk about how a lot of these uh, new stars in Hollywood and the entertainment industry are like everything's occultic. Like, why do they have to dress them up with like Egyptian, you know, high priestess gear and have all this? Egyptian occultic symbolism. I mean, there's got to be some producers that are involved. Uh, they got to be like a, a, the latest spin of the Illuminati or some group that is emerging that wants to claim the mantle of the Illuminati. I don't know what Tuesday Weld thinks of this stuff. She is retired. I mean, she's, you know, got to be like 75 years old now. And right. you know, she's, 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 she still has some clout in Hollywood, but it's, it's, it's just not like it was, you know. The Weldian faction. Can you really retire from the? Can you really retire from the Illuminati? <laughs> I think once you're in, you're always in. You know. Wow. 
Yeah, but I don't think uh, Weld has anything to do with this weird, twisted uh, claims of A Anonymous and all this, or Q Anonymous, where like supposedly children are being killed for their, you know, all that stuff you alluded to earlier. I, she never approved that when she was uh, right. Just the Druid. She just didn't go there. I mean, she's all about promiscuity. She she slept with like the half the rock stars back in the day. She was totally into it, but she would stop. She had certain uh, boundaries she would cross, including messing with children. So, wow. Yeah. Now the okay, other person, so we Christy, got, we did Tuesday Weld and Christy. Keep going. Yeah, she apparently, according to Jeff, she did not have such scruples. Yep. So we're coming up on the top hour break, and then we'll be five minute break, and then we'll be back. So let's wrap up. The, what else do we need to know about Tuesday Weld and Christy, and then we'll come back and do uh, well, we we have like six topics. The big, the, the, yeah, let me finish up real quick. Just the big thing that Jeff was pushing uh, starting around 1988, uh, not uh, right away, but soon after that, was the rise of a new faction called the All Nations Movement. And he uh, their leader was a, uh, 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 a music singer uh, named Tiffany Darwish. A lot of people know about Tiffany, but she has a whole behind-the-scenes role as like a secret society figure and trained Sufi master. And he uh, was all for Tiffany. Like Tiffany is like the shining light of the future. She's doing great stuff. The All Nations movement is cleaning up a lot of this mess. Uh, they're 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 changing the world. They're they're have impact. Uh, they're helping to end the Cold War. They're they're behind ending the civil wars in Central America. They're they're doing this all this great stuff. And uh, so he was all gung ho about the All Nations movement. And so what happened was is Jeff was approached by some young filmmakers. Uh, in the Santa Cruz area, and they thought his his uh, personality was over the top, and they couldn't believe what he was saying. So they made a movie about him and about his fixation on Tiffany. And uh, that movie is called "I Think We're Alone Now," and it was f uh, shown at film festivals uh, uh, around the world. Actually, it made it to Europe, uh, not just the United States and Canada, in two thousand eight. And uh, it got reviewed by the New York Times, Chicago Tribune, NPR Radio, Rolling Stone. And uh, um, uh, I was involved in that. I'm actually have cameo appearances as one of the people they interviewed uh, regarding Jeff and who he is. I also helped set up scenes in that movie uh, where they got to interview Peter Moon and the guy who's behind uh, the Montauk project. Oh, with yeah. Yeah, they. I got Peter Moon and Presley Preston B. Nichols in that Preston. movie. Uh huh. And uh, some of my ideas that I wanted to get in that movie didn't make it very far. I wanted them to portray Jeff Turner as like a get smart character, like Don Adams, Agent uh, Eighty Six, uh -huh. or whatever, in the Get Smart, where he's like, he's a clown, he's kind of a buffoon, but at the same time, this guy is part of this he knows he's an insider he's from a dynastic family he knows what he's talking about he he is what he claims he is uh they might want to disown him now because he doesn't know how to keep his mouth shut and is a, you know but he is what he claims he is sort of like a guest yeah, uh -huh. character and uh that didn't get very far that never made it to the uh uh that that got left on the cutting floor 
but uh wow yeah because i i took the jeff i take the jeff turner claim seriously but the film directors just thought him as a kind of delusional uh autistic guy with a good heart right <laughs> we don't know okay well we're gonna explore uh, some more if you would retrieve that somehow from the from the floor, it's an important historical record. I think it's got some right. really valuable footage. I think so too. Even if what's okay, hold that thought. We're here on our commercial break. We'll be back in five minutes. is evolving rapidly and advancing into a fifth dimensional consciousness. They are seeking peace with all cosmic cultures, which may mean that the Earth will be asked to join the prestigious Galactic Federation of Light Alliances. Please join Debbie West and Michael Hathaway on Lost Knowledge. Saturdays, 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time in Studio A for the latest breaking news on the Star Visitor's peaceful contact and the ongoing project of cleansing the Earth. Who are you? I am the architect. I created the Matrix. I've been waiting for you. Why am I here? You are the eventuality of an anomaly which, despite my sincerest efforts, I have been unable to eliminate from what is otherwise a harmony of mathematical precision, which has led you inexorably here. You haven't answered my question. The Matrix is older than you know. As you are undoubtedly gathering, the anomaly is systemic, creating fluctuations in even the most simplistic equation. Choice. Right here at Revolution Radio, freedomslips.com. Be here Wednesday evening at 8 p.m. Eastern Time for Private Eye Matrix Revealed with Monique Lasson. Hello, my name is Mr. Rowe. I am the host of Reality Extraction. On Revolution Radio at freedomslips.com, I utilize logic, intellect, and magic to methodically autonomize, vivisect, analyze, examine, study, scrutinize, and extract an essence of reality from a fog of illusion and confusion. You can find me on Studio B every Thursday at 1700 hours Pacific Time. That's 8 p.m. Eastern. No topic taboo, no subject too strange. I strive to take a neutral standpoint during the dissection of the topic at hand. That's Reality Extraction with Mr. Rowe on Revolution Radio. 
This is Thomas, a.k.a. a mad painter. I'd like you to join me Monday nights, 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time for Open Canvas. Don't forget to bring an open mind. Yes, folks, that's right. Bring an open mind to an open canvas. Again, that is Monday nights, 10 p.m. Eastern. UFOs to government corruption. This is Revolution Radio, freedomslips.com. You don't need to expect us. We're already here. for tuning in to Revolution Radio. Here at Revolution Radio, we are listener-sponsored and commercial-free. But there still are bills to pay. In order to raise some needed funds to cover the cost, our station is offering a silver special. In the continental United States for a $60 donation, or in Alaska, Hawaii, or Canada for a $70 donation, we will send you an uncirculated 2018 one-ounce pure silver eagle. The $70 donation, uh, the extra 10 is to cover shipping, by the way, outside of the continental United States. When making the donation, you must put Silver Eagle promo in the notes on the donation. And thank you for tuning in to Revolution Radio at revolution.radio and freedomslips.com. Without you, there is no less. Revolution Radio, where information never sleeps. Back, back, back. Schedule B on Revolution Radio every Saturday night, 6 to 8 p.m. You get outer space. You get honest answers, real researchers, truthful answers, and a place to engage with questions. Take part in the discussion. Revolution Radio on FreedomSlips.com hosts Collision Course every Saturday from 6 to 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. to 7 p.m. Central, 4 p.m. to 6 p.m. Mountain Time, and 3 p.m. to 5 p.m. Pacific Time. Do you or someone you know suffer from poor circulation, shortness of breath, or chest pains? Are you looking for a more natural solution to help overcome these problems? People tell us that after just a few months taking Extendivite, their doctors have noticed unexplainable improvements in their overall health. For more information, visit heartdrop.com or call 1 877 928 And tell them Nighthawk sent you, because if you call this number and tell them Nighthawk sent you, you'll get $5 off your first order at extendedbike.com. Thank you. The opinions expressed on this radio station, its programs, and its website by the hosts, guests, and call-in listeners or chatters are solely the opinions of the original source who expressed them. They do not necessarily represent the opinions of Revolution Radio and FreedomSlips.com, its staff, or affiliates. You're listening to Revolution Radio, FreedomSlips.com, 100% listener-supported radio, and now we return you to your host. Aloha and welcome back to Stargate of the Cosmos on Revolution Radio at revolution.radio, 
with your host, Jenna Carolis, and co-host, Dr. Sasha Alex Lisson, producer, Thomas Becker, and guest, Douglas Haas. Um, we were, oh, before we get back, before we go back from this break, I'd like to remind everybody, uh, please go over and make your Christmas donation on revolution.radio, because we really need your donations to stay afloat and to keep bringing you these shows. A mad painter, if you're not feeling well, it's okay, you don't need to tell us, but if it's convenient, um, how far are we away from our goal? Uh, we have 2487 and we need 2850 and I'm not adding it up, but that's around 300 and something dollars. Alrighty, so yes, we do need donations. We're running out We're running out the year, so please, please go over and make your donation. Thank you. Um, so I wanted to go back. I got a little bit lost with the connection with uh, Preston Nichols and... Uh, the Montauk project with what we were talking about. Who else did you mention? Preston Nichols. Peter Moon. I know that Peter. Oh yeah, Peter Moon. Peter Moon wrote a book that I read. That I can't remember which one, but he was talking about um, Crowley doing a ritual, uh, satanic kind of mating in the pyramid or the Sphinx. I forget which one with the modern incarnation of Isis. The goddess Isis. So this uh, Druidic princess, is she supposed to be an incarnation of one of the Egyptian princesses or the Anunnaki princesses? Or um, Yeah. And what was the connection to Montauk and Peter Moon and Preston Nichols? If you could go over that again, I kind of got lost. Well, the, the Tuesday world connection to Egypt and uh, Babylon is... Uh, unclear to me uh it's just a sense that um the illuminati claims uh, the lineage from babylon and egypt and uh uh part of their uh inheritance so to speak so i'm sure she claimed uh a role as like a babylonian princess or jeff turner said she was like the reincarnation of simiramis but uh i kind of find that hard uh far-fetched because uh uh, that's based on a, a, a now discredited book called The Two Babylons. It was written by, I think, a Baptist minister in the 19th century, but it was uh, used in a lot in Christian fundamentalist literature and chick publications. Uh, they would talk about Nimrod and Simiramis and their and their uh, child Tammuz as the unholy trinity of the Babylonian mystery schools. But... Um, but the more, and more yeah, that's what David Icke was talking about too. The, yeah, but go ahead. Uh, so uh, that part of the stuff, I don't think Jeff is all that knowledgeable about, and I'm kind of sometimes I get skeptical of some of his claims regarding that uh, angle. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, he didn't even know the two Babylons had become has is largely discredited, is discredited, and uh, I had to alert him to stop mentioning that Nimrod. Simiramis Tammuz thing that that was written by Alexander Hislop like 150 years ago. It's 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 now discredited. Nobody takes that stuff seriously. Um, uh-huh. anyway. uh, Douglas, what to what end? Let's say that the, that these cults and their variations uh, who are control or at least massively influence the uh, uh, entertainment. What? What end are they manipulating people? What are they programming us for? Where is it all going as far as uh, their influences? What do they want? 
Well, um, let me throw in a, a different angle here, um, and that is the theory that we're moving towards a new world order, right? And uh, we all know that there's like powerful banking cartels and corporations and they're already like planning to have their franchises like on the moon or whatever, you know, they're already getting ready for world, a, a world uh, system, a new world order, which they will be the c controlling force. The question is um, what sort of religious or spiritual aspect do these planners of the new world order have in mind and that's where this idea of the secret societies having an agenda to becoming like the new paradigm for their new world order comes into play um one faction i didn't mention and this is not uh jeff turner's stuff is the uh argument about the sabbatians and that is a really freaky one and uh it has to do with the um the followers of the pseudo messiah uh um, uh, ben Savi, I forget his full name, but uh, he was active uh, in the 1600s and uh, under pain of death, the Sultan of the Ottoman Empire um, forced him to convert to Islam or otherwise he would have been beheaded. And so uh, his followers followed his lead and they went underground and they converted to Islam, but they kept their, their rights secretly underground. And um, the uh, Orthodox rabbis at the time were going around trying to ferret them out because they, they saw it as a poisonous influence in Eastern Europe. And uh, there's a lot of interesting literature about that floating around about what sort of stuff came down in the 1600s. Sabati Ben Savi, I think his name was Sabati Savi. Um, so anyway, um, a century later, a new fellow emerged uh, uh, Jacob Frank, and he gained a lot of followers, also bringing back the teachings, uh, teachings of Sabatai Savi, and he said, I am the incarnation of Sabatai Savi. So the argument is, did these people penetrate the Western world? And there's a school of thought that say, says they did, and they might even have penetrated Hollywood. And it's one of the reasons why uh, 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 there was just so much bad activity that went on on the producers or the you know directors' couch back in the the, the glory days of Hollywood. And that by that's another uh, secret society element that uh, I haven't talked about. Uh, uh, Jeff Turner talks about an Illuminati. A Jewish faction that works in the Illuminati, but more recently I've heard it described as Sabbatians, going back to uh, Sabbatai Zavi in the 1600s. The Rothschilds supposedly uh, got involved in it, and uh, uh, they uh, they would have one chair always left empty at their like uh, dinner table, and that chair, uh, the Christian fundamentalists would say that was a chair for Satan because they're followers of Satan. But actually, it probably was a chair that was left empty in honor of Sabbatai Zavi. And uh, anyway, that's the Sabbatai yeah. uh, theory. Okay. So these people have an agenda. Right. They want, uh, they want uh, their paradigm to be the dominant paradigm. And what exactly 
can you summarize their paradigm? What they're wanting to would it be the handmaid's place? tale? Like handmaid's well, tale. The the thing about uh, Sabbatai Savi in the uh, 1600s is he started out as a, a pretty conventional uh, messianic pretender. And he was going around doing pretty much a traditional uh, Orthodox Jewish uh, preaching. But then along the way, he met a woman who was a former prostitute. And when they linked up, all of a sudden it was him and his consort. It was like a king and queen situation now. And his teachings began to become much more libertine and much more uh, kind of like... uh, like uh, breaking the boundaries of conventional social morality and uh, becoming more uh, more uh, kind of like socially revolutionary. Uh, I don't think he was able to pursue that uh, that far before his forced conversion uh, uh, in 1666 when the uh, Sultan of the Ottoman Empire gave him the the, the choice of if you want to live, you got to convert to Islam. If you want to keep pretending you're the Messiah, you're going to be beheaded. That's your choice. Well, the rabbis. <laughs> <laughs> Not really a choice, I think. <laughs> well, the rabbis in Eastern Europe, the, the Orthodox rabbi, rabbis absolutely believe the Sabbateans were secretly having orgies on the anniversary of the uh, death of Sabate Savi. They were absolutely convinced. They were going around trying to ferret them out in places like the Ukraine and Poland, Romania. And they, they were going around. They were absolutely convinced this, the followers of Sabatai Savi, after his death, were doing, like, orgies. And uh, Well, what on- it, I talked to Peter Moon about the purpose of orgies. And, and they would do these um, sexual orgies on certain days, on certain ley lines, and that was able to capture, you know, the timeline or open portals. So there was, yeah, what was uh, their, why were they upset about orgies? So what, right? <laughs> but there had to be some kind of power play or something with the orgies. What's your thoughts on that? Well, you know, the Orthodox rab- rabbis are uh, strictly playing by the mosaic law you know like uh you were to marry one woman or uh you were to uh do this to her her parents you know this whole ritual of like traditional uh orthodox uh marriage and then the sabbatians were doing orgies you know a whole bunch of people and they they would look the orthodox rabbi spies would look through the curtains and they would see all these people taking their clothes off and can you imagine how freaked out they were they're just like very conservative puritanical in their lifestyles and they're looking through the curtains and they're seeing people tearing off their clothes and they're going, oh my God, this is blasphemy. So it was just a moral thing. It wasn't a, because uh, Peter Boone was saying it was a power play. It was a, you're actually Wait, do they, capture the timeline they, by having these uh, orgies on certain days and you're it was specifically on the anniversary of the death of Sabatai Savi was when they would do the annual uh, rituals. It was like a commemoration right. of, of Sabatai Savi. And uh, the children mm-hmm. that were born of these orgies were considered to be especially blessed. The, the weird thing about that is they don't even know who their father is. You know, it's kind of. But uh, uh, the children born of such a uh, 
uh, union were considered to be on, on this anniversary were considered to be especially blessed. And, uh, so as I mentioned, there was later on that fellow named Jacob France, Frank, Jacob Frank, and he brought back into the open the teachings of Sabbath Isavi. He had all these followers and he had so much influence. He had a personal audience with the emperor of the Austro Austrian Empire. He met uh, Emperor Joseph in a personal audience, as I, uh, if, if my memory serves me correctly. Or maybe it was his daughter. He had a gorgeous daughter, a really beautiful daughter, and she might have been the one that had the personal audience with the emperor of the Austrian Empire. That's how much clout they had. Uh, they also wanted them to convert to Catholicism. They thought this was this is going to be great. They're going to convert to Catholicism. This is a huge breakthrough. And so a bunch of the followers of Frank became Catholics. And uh, they say they had a, a influence on the French Revolution behind the scenes. And the question is, did they penetrate Hollywood? And if they did, that explains a lot of what the, the, the philosophy behind what they were doing in Hollywood was. It would explain so much if that is true. There's just not enough evidence, not enough evidence to confirm it. it uh, as far as I can see, it's just a, a, a theory. Uh, I, I still, there's a convergence between the the Sabadian and the Hollywood uh, uh, group. There, there is it it's, feels like the same uh, critter. Thank you. Right, Sabatians. Yeah, the followers of Sabatai Savi. Probably pronouncing his name wrong. It is a fascinating subject. Um, I, I actually um, used to uh, uh, talk. Uh, with one of the major uh, Israeli uh, purveyors of the Sabbatian theory. Uh, he passed away a, about a year or two ago, and that was Barry Shamish. And he's most famous for being an entertainment writer for the magazines in Israel. Even though he's born in Winnipeg, Canada, he, he speaks, you know, English like, you know, guy from Brooklyn. I mean, but he immigrated mm -hmm. to Israel. He joined the Israeli army. He became an entertainment writer. And then he had to leave the country because he did a tell-all book on his theory of why Yitzhak Rabin was assassinated. And it was sort of like a John F. Kennedy-style conspiracy theory. And he did it. it was on all the talk shows. He became very controversial. And then people began to tell him, you need to get out of Israel. They're going to kill you. And so he holed up in St. Augustine, Florida, and he had a radio show on, in the Panhandle of Florida. And I got to be a guest on his radio show twice. But Barry Shamus was a personal disciple of the late um, Rabbi uh, Marvin Antelman, who wrote The Opiate of the Masses. And he was Israel's top chemist. He was a rabbi, and he also was a purveyor, a strong believer in the Sabbatian theory that the Sabbatians had uh, become a, um, uh, a huge um, sore in the uh, Israeli Jewish world culture, that they had penetrated and undermined uh, the authority of the rabbis and were like a pestilence in their midst. And he wrote a book called Opiate of the Masses. And uh, uh, so Barry Shamas was personally mentored by Rabbi Marvin Antelman, uh, so that's a Sabbatian theory. Uh, 
Uh, yeah, well, you know, what, what, I, what I get from hearing this is that it's not a, a dark or uh, evil uh, motive that uh, the, the uh, Hollywood uh, spiritualists are, are giving us, but one of celebrate and, 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 and joy. I don't really get what's with, this doesn't seem to be anything particularly junk about it. Well, I mean, most people want to know who their father is, though. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I understand the whole, uh, you know, theory about that is that if you have an orgy and there's all this sperm going and that child is conceived, that's a certain sperm reaches the egg and it's a very powerful person. That might be what's behind that. The, you know, it's like the survival of the fittest. And so only the fittest will succeed to become the... The father of the, you know, the father's sperm of the, the baby. So the baby's going to be more powerful. If you just look at nature and how that survives. So that might be what's behind that. It's kind of what I got from some readings I had. But um, so what, you know? So the kid's stronger. Is that the, how's that? I, I'm kind of missing the connection. But go ahead, keep going. I'm listening. It's a, I'm not sure, except it's, you know, it's immoral, but, you know, one person's morality is another person's, you know, fun and pleasure. So uh, it's hard well, to gauge morality and why. What's behind well, it? Yeah, go ahead. It says that this this organization has basically whatever their agenda is has covertly taken control of of the media, and that's basically what what you're saying, Doug. Yeah, well, so what, a powerful faction, and if the Rothschilds are uh, in on it, they are the uh, supposedly the world's most powerful uh, uh, banking dynastic family. Some people have said their wealth is like should be measured in the trillions and uh, mm -hmm. not billions. Because some of our richest people, like Bill Gates, is uh, I think he's valued at eighty or a hundred billion dollars. Uh, the the famous Koch brothers they're they're valued at like somewhere between thirty and fifty billion dollars. But if the Rothschilds control a trillion dollars, and they're the world's most powerful single family, and they can pretty much pick a prime minister in Britain or whatever they can do. That's that's a lot of power. But uh, um, the final thing well, I would about power. Yeah. Um, but yeah, okay. What's your final thing? You go, the final thing I wanted to mention is supposedly there's there's a theory out there that Stanley Kubrick uh, was died prematurely because he went too far and he was never supposed to release that movie, the Eye, Eyes Wide Shut movie with uh, Nicole Kidman. He talked about stuff about the Sabatians. He, supposedly he even shot like what a picture uh, of like what the Rothschild mansion actually looks like where these kind of uh, – what would you call it? Um, uh, Hellfire Club rituals go on, and he was never to go that far. And he he broke the terms of the agreement. Uh, he agreements he had, and they they had him killed. Eyes wide shut, which was basically the whole Sabatian thing. He went too far. You're dead, and he was uh, died prematurely. That's one of the theories going on out there, floating around. I that couldn't watch shut. the whole thing. How did it end? What was it about? How did they, I know they had all this ritual, and it was so dark, and I got kind of freaked out, and I, I couldn't watch it. <laughs> I just quit watching it. It was too dark for me. I, I don't understand how it ended. Uh, what was the, you know, his, 
was it just to show these rituals or was there an ending to it? I mean, I don't know what the ending is. Anybody see the movie? <laughs> Thomas, did you see the movie? Did you see it, Doug? Yeah, I saw it, and it's basically there's a secret society, and it's by invitation only, and they basically let you know when you're supposed to go, and then everybody shows up at this mansion out in the countryside, and they go in there, and there's all these people having sex all, all over the uh, mansion, uh-huh. like 50 or 60, 80, 100 couples going at it, and it's it's pretty wild. I mean, uh, it's yeah. pretty wild. They're all just... This this going for it, you know, all out. It's like, uh-huh. it's pretty wild. Uh, but that supposedly was an expose on the Sabatians. It's based on a, a novel um, that was written in Vienna. Uh, I forget the name of it, but there's a. It's based on a novel that was written in, uh, I guess, the latter years of the Austro-Hungarian Empire. I'm not quite sure about that. Uh, some sort of Aus- a Viennese novel of some kind. Uh-huh. But it seems to reveal a lot more of that. That goes into the question of, this is really weird, is one of the things Rabbi Attleman claimed was that one of the reasons Hitler was so twisted was because his uh, mother was the uh, love child of her mother being a maid in the Rothschild mansion in Wisconsin and being used for one of those Sabbatian rituals on the commemoration of Sabbatai Zavi's death. And she got knocked up in that ritual and somehow he gained wind of that. It was one of the things that just made his blood boil or something like that, uh, that, uh, that, uh, she was, uh, got pregnant. She was, you know, uh, Hitler's mother was born out of wedlock and, uh, the uh, the story is that her mother had gotten knocked up working as a maid in a for a rich family in Vienna, and right. uh, so that's not my thinking. That's Rabbi Marvin Attleman who uh, 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 asserted that, and that's one of the reasons why Hitler was so twisted. And what, uh, what about Barbara Bush looking like Crowley's daughter? Have you heard that one? I've heard of that theory too. That yeah, that uh, she was born of a Crowley ritual. I've heard that yeah, and so Bush had yeah. to marry her because hey, it's in the family. You got to marry her. Right. Is, you know. so they have arranged marriages, and they want to keep a certain lineage going, and that's all the bloodlines. And yeah, I heard of that you. theory. The the Barbara Bush has a Crowley and ritual love child. Yeah. Uh-huh. She looks like it. <laughs> They've shown them side by side. So, okay, so we, we went through Tuesday, well, Christy. Uh, we have others. I don't know what this Kanati Snakehead, Secret and Suppressed, another mirror. We're not going to get to yeah, uh, real, real quick, Where do you want to go quick. next? Uh, real quick, I wanted to mention that the Peter Moon, uh, uh, Preston B. Nichols thing got in there because uh, starting in the 90s, early 90s, Jeff Turner became fascinated with time travel. And all uh, he used to talk about right. Tuesday Weld and Christie, and that's all he could talk about in the World Nazi Network. And, and all of a sudden, he's talking about time travel all the time. Time travel. And he's, he's, he's like oh. totally into every book that uh, uh, Sky Books in Long Island, Peter Moon's companies right. putting it and he's saying all this stuff about the chronos project 
and now Tiffany and the All Nations Movement have cleaned up the mess. That and and they go, what the heck? What's this Kronos? And he goes, well, the Navy did Phoenix Rainbow, and that was their time travel program, and that was done at Montauk Point, and they screwed everything up. The, the timelines are it's a mess, and so uh, the Army created a time travel program in 1965 and it was called Kronos Project and it was based at Archuleta Mesa in uh, New Mexico and it was specifically built to clean up the mess that the Navy had started by Phoenix Rainbow the, the, at Montauk and and so he said Tiffany was what, one what did they mess up? What, what was messed up about it? They what had the mess disappearing interdimensionally people like couldn't get back people like went nuts that was it they just messed up the timelines unwanted aliens were entering our 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 world that weren't meant to be here entities it's all sorts of crazy stuff and so chronos uh-huh. uh was set up army program to clean up the mess created by the navy's program and tiffany was one of the main people that were brought into it and uh, uh, she worked directly under the mentorship of the Christian Army General, who was the founder of the Kronos Project, and was mentored by him personally. And she was one of the time traveler people that uh, uh, was assigned to help clean up the mess. And also Hollywood actor Dean Stockwell was involved in oh, this. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And Lana Wood was uh, involved in this, and her daughter, uh, uh was involved in this. This is what Jeff claims. And uh, it's one of the reasons that Dean Stockwell uh, wrote that uh, um, play or novel uh, that he lent to Neil Young. And Neil Young wrote the song uh, After the Gold Rush. And it's about the time travel secrets that Dean Stockwell shared with Neil Young. And Neil Young supposedly shared that through the song After the Gold Rush. It has time travel references and, you know, travel to other worlds and that kind of stuff but um well Dean Stockwell was in that um time he was in uh, the he was a I <laughs> what that time thing that was going that he was on that um oh remember it's that was it was a time travel thing oh here it was quantum leap one of those uh sci-fi movies like or series like Babylon or yeah he was one of those he was in Galactica he was a the lead, um, uh, what do you call it? Um, what are the they cap- called? The, the, the not cap, uh, yeah. So he was one of the, the uh, Cylons. He was, lead, but he was also in Quantum Leap with um, Will uh, Bacula. Bacula, what was his name? Quantum Leap. And Quantum Leap was about time travel, and Scott Bacula became one of the uh, Enterprise captains. You know, one of the enterprises. So this is all this Hollywood connection that you're talking about. So interesting, but but the movie choice was a time travel series, which was very popular for about three, four, five years. So go ahead. So go back to that connection. I'm I'm sorry to interrupt you, but that was I just wanted to interject that. Go ahead. Yeah, just saying that uh, Jeff uh, transitioned to being like quite into time travel, and he was making sure that uh, Gateway Books in Santa Cruz, which was the leading uh, New Age bookstore in Santa Cruz, would always have uh, Montauk books in stock. He's always talking about Kronos, and he even got the Santa Cruz Public Library to do an exhibit where, if you're a local 
it's community member, you can put up a display in a glass case. And he put up this full on uh, a display case about Kronos project. And there was portraits of Tiffany in there and uh, all these, all this stuff about uh, Tiffany and uh, the all the Kronos project. And uh, uh, it's all written up in this, uh, um, article i wrote for another mirror at the end of the road uh in the spring of 2009 and uh i did the leap. Uh, hey, hey send us a picture of tiffany and we'll put it up okay i will scan one on uh, uh tomorrow and uh send it to you it's uh, tiffany and her uh secret society regalia according to jeff where she's showing her uh offices her, her authority in terms of certain secret society traditions that only Jeff could tell us what they are, but there's different uh -huh. orbs and little medallions that she's wearing. And she supposedly is showing her, uh, her authority in terms of certain secret society traditions. I'll send that to you tomorrow. I wanted to mention Excellent. though, that I, I wrote an article about Jeff Turner called the Turner Enigma and, uh, and it came out in an issue of Another Mirror at the End of the Road, which was a Crowley uh, uh, esoteric publication based in West Virginia. That came out in spring 2009. I could send it to people that are interested in the subject because it is the most exhaustive uh, single source on this subject. Uh, I also co-wrote an article um, for Secrets and Suppressed 2. came out in uh, um, November 2008. Uh, it was edited by Adam Parfi of uh, Feral House and Ken Thomas. And the article that Adam Gorightly and I got in here is called um, The Jeff Turner Experience, Part 1. The Tuesday World, Tuesday World is Watching You, The Shocking Truth of Occult Secret Societies in Santa Cruz. And even before that, there was an article that was the cover story in Paranoia, Paranoia magazine in February 2008, uh, which was called Tuesday Weld, High Priestess of the Illuminati, question uh, mark. But Adam Gorightly uh, wrote the very first article, and that came out in Steam Shovel Press in, uh, I think, around 2006. And that's a very interesting article. I still have that one available and uh, it, it was rewritten for the... Uh, on, your, on your website, can people see these on your website? I don't have a website. Uh, I need to be killed so early in my life. No, I don't have a, yeah, a website so yet. I put uh, Douglas's email, or, yeah, his, uh, not his email, his address where you can write him. You have to get out pen and paper, right? <laughs> and write to him. And then... Um, is that how you want to communicate? And then your email is here on the AquarianRadio.com. I have a page for Doug in today's show. So his address is there and his email. So if people want that, they can just write to you. Right. There's others. Yeah. Yeah. You, you can just can see people. You've got a lot already done, and you've already written it up, and uh, it'll be a big help. Thank you. Right, so we covered a lot of ground. We could briefly touch on a few other subjects, although time is ticking. How much do you think we yeah, still? Yeah, well, we. Oh, we. It's only. Um, well, I started at uh, three, so it's, we still have another twenty minutes or so. So we have a lot to to talk about. Uh, okay, so 
let's see. You have uh, on on this little list of subjects. I have Kanakti, Snakehead, Another Mirror. We started talking about and Steve Omar books. Where do you want to go? What direction? We're obviously yep. not going to cover it all today, but. Let's cover briefly all those um, with Steve Omar coming okay. last. Um, basically, the Kanakti project is something I plugged into. It's not mine. Uh, it's centered on a uh, dormant volcano located at Clear Lake. It's about 80, 70, 80 miles northeast of San Francisco. And uh, the local lore is the mountain has a huge interior cavern. And the Indian tribe lives up there, says there's little people that live inside the mountain. And uh, uh, what that's about is a fellow named Robert Zalewski, he's kind of a legendary World War II aviator fellow, decided to retire to Lake County. He heard the local lore of the Lake County people of this volcano, Kanaktai. And he began to research it, and he became so convinced that this this is a big story uh, that when uh, he was contacted and told that people had found the long-lost interior entrance to the cavern, he immediately assembled a top-notch exploration team, including professional mining engineer. He had the support of the county sheriff's department, uh, CHP, they even had infrared imaging done, and even NASA agreed to take photography from uh, the space shovel Endeavor of the mountain, deep penetration, photography imaging, and all this stuff. And Bob Zalewski, who I got to know briefly, uh, passed away uh, about six, seven, eight years ago. And uh, there's a fellow up there named Kevin Keeley. He's still trying to keep the flame alive of the Kanakti project. So I helped him by putting together a thing called the source book, uh, which we were selling at the last UFO cons, and also something called uh, the, Kan the Kanakti Mystery, uh, Lake County Sacred Mountain which has a number of vintage clips that the Kanakti Project put together, and we put it together as a commercially available uh, DVD. And that has a, uh, a lot of the stuff about the claims they're making. If they're true, what they're claiming will be one of the most important discoveries in uh, North America in the last 50 years, 100 years. I mean, it's just going to overturn everything we know about prehistory. They claim that there's evidence of uh, lost civilizations hidden in that mountain that people hold up inside there during previous uh, floods or world cataclysms, right. that kind of thing. It's an amazing story. Yeah, well, there's a lot of stories of people emerging after the Great Flood. And, uh, you know, it was mud everywhere, so uh, we've heard of those stories as well. And, of course, the... Uh, there's stories that they're still existing underground. There's underground cities, you know, Middle Earth, uh, Gartha, and they're all connected somehow with this. Um, basically, goes back to Montauk. There's a uh, this huge underground. It's not really a railway, but it's a, 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 a kind of a transportation system that operates on vacuum. It goes very, very, very fast from coast to coast. So that all ties in together. So he's so did anybody make it in there? 
This is the thing. They were uh, uh, drop somebody in on a cable down this hole that they spent. They it was mining. They were doing like serious underground shoring and mining, and they were about ready to find that point where they could drop somebody down on a cable, and they got kicked off the mountain. And uh, and ever since they've been looking all over that mountain and uh, they just haven't been able to find another entrance that they uh, have been able to get into the vast interior cavern. It's one of the biggest interior caverns in North America. It's just enormous, like Mammoth Caves, Kentucky. It's just huge. Nobody's been in the mountain. It's it's no conspiracy theory. It's just the local landowners want these people on their property and uh, got on the television news. That's part of the thing on the the DVD is the actual news clips from the evening local evening television news about what they were doing and why they got kicked off. Pretty interesting stuff. (laughs) Cool. Okay, what's Snakehead? Okay, it's actually uh, Snakehead Point. And that's a very interesting story. Uh, It's something that uh, turns out it ties back to the early UFO contactee movement. And the reason I got pulled into it is because when I was living in Santa Cruz, one of the people I was networking into Jeff Turner, like, hey, Jeff, you got to talk to this guy. He knows some of this stuff. And this guy's name is Harold Freeman, and he's a esoteric Christian bishop, and he knows high-level Rosicrucians and Freemasons. This guy is Sufi. He, he's even heard of Tiffany and her role, uh, independent of you. I talked to him, and he knows this stuff. you got to meet this guy. Mm-hmm. So Harold Freeman kind of mentored me. And uh, he's like a like a Korean War veteran in the Air Force and worked in the tech industry in the early days before the Silicon Valley became a household name. And he was an esoteric bishop. He read all the Alice Bailey works, Theosophical Society materials by uh, Madame Blavatsky and all that stuff. He, he was a real esotericist and uh, really good at this stuff and a Rosicrucian and a Sufi. And so he told me this story about there is an ancient pyramid in the Sierra Nevada mountains that I learned about because I trans-channeled this information when I was dean of the men's dorm at Williams College in Berkeley, California. This is like right after I got out of the Air Force at the end of the 50s. And then he goes on and says, I was the first person in the country who taught a course on the UFO phenomena. When I was dean of the men's dorm at Williams College in Berkeley. And uh, if you go up there and you go down this steep gold rush uh, trail down to the bottom of the gorge, there's a platform opposite Snakehead Point. And people I take down there go into clairvoyant trances and they're taken on a tour inside this pyramid that is hidden there underneath Snakehead Point. And they're taken into initiatory rooms. This thing is ancient. It was, it's been there like half a million years. It was built by uh, visitors from another world. Okay. So I went down there. I took a couple trips. Uh, I fasted. I tried to have experiences. And sure enough, I saw exactly some of the stuff he told me about. And kind of like I was meditating and I'd be shown visions. And for me, it's confirmed. The problem is 
you go down there and all you see is a funny looking rock formation looks like a pyramid but there's no evidence of a pyramid there's no like rock base or doors or you know ruins or steps or you know any kind of stuff it's just a pine covered chaparral covered pyramid shaped peak at the bottom of the north fork of the american river it's actually a beautiful place and uh i i, I just backpacked there uh uh, in October, just three months ago. And I didn't have any visions this time, but it was my first visit to Green Valley right opposite Snakehead Point in 20 years. So anyway, I wrote a whole article, uh, a booklet about this. It's called um, Buried Pyramid of, at Snakehead Point, A Forgotten Tale from the Early UFO Contactee Movement. And I, I do have that one right now available. If people write me, I can give you information about it. <clears throat> so the discoveries I made during my intensive research is, number one, I found out through research that somebody else is associated with the discovery of the Buried Pyramid. And that was a figure from the early UFO contact team movement. His name was Wallace C. Halsey. And he wasn't big enough that he's on Wikipedia, there's not that inf much information uh, out there about him, but he did have a little following. He talked uh, at UFO events, and he went to the different um, meetings of a group called Understanding. It was a prominent uh, UFO contactee group started by Daniel Fry. Uh, the author of uh, the White Plains Incident, or is it the White Sands Incident, a very famous early UFO contact ebook. And uh, mm -hmm. so I contacted Wallace C. Halsey's son. I managed to track him down and interviewed him five, six months ago. And he gave me some pretty good information about his dad. And I was able to track down more information, including information that the college that Harold Freeman had told me about, Williams College, it was a small two-year preparatory college to get you into UC Berkeley. I found out in my research it was a cutting-edge uh, art and creative dance and um, music training liberal arts college that was way ahead of its time, way back in the 30s and 40s and 50s. And it's tied into some famous people that really made a big name. And uh, some of the major early UFO contactee events were uh, put together by the understanding chapter that was at Williams College. And I'm sure Wallace C. Halsey, who was active in understanding, met Harold Freeman, who was one of the chapter leaders of the understanding organization. And... Harold probably told Wallace C. Halsey the story of what he had received in these transmissions he had received, showing him to go up to this place. We want to contact you there. He told those stories to Wallace C. Halsey, and Wallace C. Halsey had a big audience, and he shared those stories, and the, his name got associated with the discovery of this buried pyramid at Snakehead Point. So I listen. You, what you really would help is some LIDAR, where you really can see what's there, layer by layer by layer. It's there. The technology's there for you to see just what's there and what chambers are there. You just need to have LIDAR. 
that's an interesting idea. That, uh, one fellow that uh, is interested in this because uh, he heard about it, he wants to lead a team down there because he's, he's an old gold miner and he used to have uh, – uh, gold prospects and the mother load, and he's he's definitely wants to go down there and uh, seriously research and find this pyramid. I do have one story of that is a confirming story, and that is that uh, there was a TV show in the 1980s which Charlton Heston uh, narrated. It was like on ABC. It was like a network television documentary, and it was about weird anomalies found around the world. Uh, that stump the anthropologists and, they, and the archaeologists. And they just don't know what to do with these discoveries because they upturned the apple cart of the teachings that they're teaching the students. So what they do is they want to avoid them and ignore them. They'll put them in the back room of the museum. They just don't want to deal with it. Well, one of the discoveries that's talked about in that documentary is weird metallic orbs were found deep in gold mines in the Motherlode region of California, and they're obviously millions of years old, and they have to be man-made. They're like machined metallic orbs, perfectly cylindrical, I mean round. They've also been found deep in gold mines in South Africa, the same thing. And Harold, one of the things Harold Freeman told me about many years ago was that Chinese hard rock miners who mar, uh, uh, mine the south uh, bank of the of the Green Valley area uh, sent a mine, a hard rock mine, deep underneath Snakehead Point, and they found these weird metallic orbs. And um, uh, Harold said they were in safekeeping with uh, an individual in Volcano, California. And uh, Volcano is one of these little leftover gold rush towns uh, that, you know, its heyday was in the gold rush. And ever since then, it's just like a few retired people live up there, up in the mother load. And somebody in that town, in a box in their attic or somewhere, has these metallic orbs. Who knows? Uh, but this is one of the stories Harold Freeman shared with me. Interesting. Wow. So, um People are finding pyramids all over the world. You know, they were just, they thought for a while it was Egypt only, but it appears to be a grid that's connected. Uh, it was the original power grid of the entire planet. So that that would be interesting to correlate that with other researchers like Sam Osmanovich. I know, um, but Peter goes to, where does he go over there in Europe? Um Yugoslavia is a pyramid location in uh, Europe. Yeah, Romania and uh, uh, Vlad in Transylvania. Anyway, there's all these connections with pyramids over there, too. So, okay. So, our last Bosnia, I said Bosnia. And anyway, over there, there's a bunch of pyramids that, that are being explored. So, apparently, there's pyramids. It was a grid all over the planet, not just. You know, Egypt, but everywhere. There's supposed to be some in the Grand Canyon. Pyramids everywhere. So, Angkor yeah, keep up the, let us know what happens. Yukatan. Yeah. Yucatan. Pyramids. China. Yeah, big pyramid in China. Or big series of pyramids, right? So, okay, where are we on it? We have uh, five minutes. So, 
Steve Omar, that's your next project. Just kind of touch on that. What's going on with Steve? Well, Steve Omar, I didn't even know who the heck he was when he showed up at my table. And he, he walks up to my book table, and uh, that was the last UFO con. I think it was February of this uh, year that's coming to a close, just, what, 10 months ago. And uh, uh -huh. I, he, he just kept talking, and I, you know, I'm a nice guy, so I listened to his story, and uh, he just went on and on and on about all this stuff about this. Uh, we were the first UFO organization. We had we set up a galactic council, and we had a, uh, a an ambassador from the UN was actually assigned to us to be a liaison with us, and our our newsletters were even published in the Soviet Union and. We were big, and we had like a department of music, a department of intelligence, a department of uh, galactic consciousness, and, and it's like we had a uh, hundreds of members. It was just a fascinating story, and uh, he wanted me to help him put together a book. And uh, and uh, uh, at first, I was hesitant because I couldn't get Steve the you know. It's hard to get him to stop talking. Once he's on a roll, you can't get a word in edgewise. So uh, I was kind of skeptical, like, are you sure you want to do this? This You probably leave hour-long voicemails on your phone. Or, you know, I was a little worried. But uh -huh. it's worked out pretty well. Uh, he's, he lives in San Luis Obispo. He's on a fixed income. And uh, I need to reimburse him when he writes stuff up and types it up. And he'll send it up and he'll say, hey, my bill for mailing this to you was such and such. And my copying charges at the photocopy shop was this much. Can you reimburse me? And I say, yeah, I'll send you down a check. And so because he's on a really fixed income. He just doesn't. Oh, I know he is. Yes. So what we did is I created what I would call a mock-up of a book. In other words, this is where I'm heading with this. Uh, I have it on velo binding scroll style, so somebody can like literally open it up on their coffee table and read a, something would have it without having to use their hands, like or share it with somebody else. Hey, look at this picture right here. That this is wild. Check this out. Look at what he drew. Uh, check this out. And so the stories are never ending. There are so many fascinating stories Steve has. And I'm very curious to know uh, of people in Maui that remember the impact that his this group had back in the 70s during its heyday and like people that remember it. And because I, I the only source I have right now is Steve Omar. I did send a, uh, get in contact with Merrill Fankhauser and he uh, uh, told me a little bit. Uh, Merrill Fankhauser is actually a fairly well-known figure. He's one of the few guys in the rock and roll, uh, rock musician, rock history annals that wrote heavily on stuff like Atlantis, Lost Continent of Mood, Star Travelers, and this and that. And he had a band called Moo, which has actually got a cult following in Japan, in Europe, and the United States. I mean, he puts out an album and... People are paying attention to it in places as far away as Norway, Greece, Japan, Taiwan, you know, United States. And uh -huh. it, uh, so he also had other bands even earlier. He he, um, uh, and he a, did Wipeout, which was a very popular 60s song, Wipeout. 
Right. He had a band called the Epax, which was San Luis Obispo surf rock band in like 1962, okay. 63. So they uh, have. So you've got you've, you've got a witness now because I was here. When, when Omar uh, was writing for the uh, Maui Weekly uh, Weekly Times, and uh, everybody read his stuff, and it was really fun. And in those days, there was lots of sightings. We, you know, we the uh, saucers would come down in Haleakala uh, all the time, and the stuff that Steve was uh, reporting is the same thing that. Uh, I, uh, many other people on the island were reporting, and they read his stuff, and they were in contact. And, this, and he's telling his straight. He is very interesting, and uh, um, it's amazing. I the thing that is, I'm struggling with though is sometimes I think it's like a small little group of co-conspirators because they say they started on a beach in uh, Florida. Oh, we're out of time. We're out of time. We'll have to pick this up on another show. I've spaced out. Well, thank you so much for coming. God, we'll, thank we'll you. Talk well, thank Aloha. you. Aloha. Aloha. Back. <laughs> Aloha. Radio at freedomslips.com. We'll be right back after this message. Thank you for listening to Revolution Radio at freedomslips.com. Any commercial advertising you may hear in this program is of the sole discretion and benefit of the host of whose program you are listening to. Revolution Radio does not endorse any commercial products, nor does it accept monetary compensation for on-air advertising of commercial products, nor will it ever. We are and shall remain 100% listener supported. Any product advertising on this program are considered used at higher risk, and Revolution Radio shall not be held liable for any claims or damages received from any product advertised within this program. Revolution Radio, where information never sleeps. for tuning in to Revolution Radio. Here at Revolution Radio, we are listener-sponsored and commercial-free, but there still are bills to pay. In order to raise some needed funds to cover the cost, our station is offering a silver special. In the continental United States for a $60 donation, or in Alaska, Hawaii, or Canada for a $70 donation, we will send you an uncirculated 2018 one-ounce pure silver eagle. The $70 donation, uh, the extra 10 is to cover shipping, by the way, outside of the continental United States. When making the donation, you must put Silver Eagle promo in the notes on the donation. And thank you for tuning in to Revolution Radio at revolution.radio and freedomslips.com. Without you, there is no less. Revolution Radio, where information never sleeps.